to join us. Uh, okay, I think that's all my announcements. Uh, Emily, am I good? Uh, yes, awesome. All right, let's talk about the Bible. Uh, okay, if you got your Bibles, uh, get them out. Uh, we're going to go to James 5. Um, and uh, when we do this, we kind of, you know, during Advent, uh, it feels a little bit like there's a theme. There should be a theme. So we're talking about waiting and longing and looking ahead to the arrival of, of Jesus. Um, but there also, we kind of bounce around from different books and now that we are kind of jumping into James, I want to give you like a, a touch of background. So this will take like a minute or two before I read the text. But James was written uh, by who? Uh, who's the brother of Jesus, leader of one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And we know from Acts 15 and a little bit of a, a kind of timeline here. Uh, three major points, quick little easy timeline here. Uh, so we've got 80, 28 to 33. This is Jesus's kind of his time of ministry, roughly, um, as well as the time that he passed away. James writes this letter uh, 15 to 18 years later, and then is martyred about 20 years after that. Uh, so just to have some timeline of what's going on here. Uh, and the general theme of this book, uh, you probably remember if you've been in church at all, this is a book about uh, kind of what it looks like doers of the faith and not just hearers of the faith. There's some strong words uh, to the church back then that are difficult to swallow at times. Uh, there's some even famous theologian, Martin Luther, uh, he hated this book. Um, and it's like, well, it's not really optional. It's kind of in there. It's one of the 66. So we want to live it out as best that we can. Uh, the people that he's writing to are in all sorts of kind of social and spiritual conflict. Not that that sounds you know, familiar at all today, um, but many of the believers of that time needed kind of a, a kind of a backside of what it looks like to be faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, and we oftentimes tell people here that everybody uh, at one point or another needs both a hug and a kick in the backside. So hopefully we're going to give both of you from the pulpit that today. Um, so you know, without further ado, this is James 5 and all we have are just a few short verses here. So 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, let's pray and give him thanks. God, we are grateful for the Bible. We're grateful that as we, as people, even as followers of you, can be so pushed around by our own thoughts, swayed by the people around us, swayed by what, uh, what, what, what those outside, whether it's the media or whatever is telling us to believe, we know that we can come back to the Bible day after day, Sunday after Sunday, 
and trust that it is true, that it is the Word of God, that it comes from You, that it's good for Your people to digest. Father, may we eat of it this morning. May we digest it. May it be nourishment for us. May we sit under it. May we be corrected by it. May we be led through the Holy Spirit towards repentance. And may we be comforted by Your Word. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for those this time of year. It is just a struggle to get through the day-to-day. Whether it's they've gone through a loss in the past year or past you know, ten years. And it just feels heavy during this season. They know, they anticipate family interactions over the next few weeks that may be tricky or difficult or wounds that haven't healed. And what does that look like? Father, I pray that You would give wisdom and discernment and courage and peace. And Father, I pray that we as a church would continue to both look inward and outward. Look to how we can serve and love each other, but also outward to how we can welcome people both into the church and into a relationship with You. Being evangelistic with our words and with our actions. Having eyes to see the hurting world around us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we are in the midst of Advent, and I just want to say a couple things. First is that Advent is incredibly hard. Um, so as a pastor, like I know I'm not supposed to think this, but Advent as well as Lent, like I, you know, there's some I can't wait for this. And I never that way. So if you are in that camp, you're, you know, you're in good company. Advent as a whole, like Rachel does finding songs that fit the themes of Advent, but it is a struggle to find those songs. For every one 23 Christmas songs that for that little, little 12 day stretch that we get to celebrate Christmas. And Christmas rocks, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jesus being born, incarnation of Christ, as the message puts it, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. But Christmas, without the struggle of Advent, is what I would say is kind of the truncated, westernized version of the gospel. What I mean by that is that when we in the West sometimes come to the Bible, what we love to do is we love to be drawn to the exciting parts of Scripture, the parts that make us feel warm and fuzzy inside, but we love to skip over the difficult ones. When I mentioned Job in the, in, in the reading of this text, I mean, it's just not one where Bible studies are getting together and like, hey, what should we study? And everybody's like, you know what I've been longing to talk about? Job. Suffering, you know, losing his family, boils all over his skin. I just can't wait to lean in to that. What we long for is the blessing without the suffering. And this idea of waiting as a whole is incredibly countercultural. And I don't say this from an ivory tower. I am the worst at this. I mean, growing up, I was in high school. At some point, uh, somebody saw me without my shirt on. I had these bruises on my arms, and they were like, "What's going on?" And I was like, "What is going on? Like, why do I have these bruises?" And then I realized that in my home, like when I would kind of walk from the kitchen to the to the dining room or kitchen to the living room, I would try to so fast I would literally run in to the wall and. I was so 
And I was trying to shave off that like two millisecond that I was willing to sacrifice my own arms to do it. And as an adult, like I'm not much better. I multitask. I love checking things off a list. I like moving at an ultra productive. Do we have any checklist checklist people? Thank you. I appreciate you. On my computer at any given time, there's like 78 tabs that are open because I'm going to get to it all at some point, hopefully at the same time if I'm doing it I like to do it. And even at restaurants, like I will literally eat worse food if the restaurant doesn't have a wait. Like, if we are going to lunch, you, if I say, let's go eat lunch together, you've got three options for how this will go down. I will either say to you, I'll suggest a place to go to lunch. And so I know the restaurant I suggest will not have a wait. So I will say, let's go here. And if you, you know, pun, like, I don't like that place, I'll give you another restaurant. It will also not have a wait. Or the second option is, I will give options. I'll say, hey, I'd love for you to go. Here's some options. You pick. The common theme with those restaurants is what? There's no wait. We're not waiting when we get there. Or if you're like, I really want to go to this restaurant. I know there's going to be a wait. I'll say, oh, it sounds great. I'll meet you there at 11.45 before the rush hits. Like, there's no chance. And I get it. Like, I know I'm a sociopath with this. Like, you guys don't have to all agree with, with this. But it is the reality of how I, I, I struggle. So when I lean into Advent, I just want you to hear from me that if this is hard for you, it's also hard for me. But it's so good for us. A common explanation about waiting and why it's so hard by psychologists, they say waiting in line. They were just simply talking about waiting like in line at the doctor's office or anything else. It says waiting in line puts us in direct contact with the unknown. When we wait, we don't know when we're going to check out. And the psychology of waiting reveals that people hate the unknown. Because the unknown breeds anxiety so that anxiety, so that anxiety quickly festers into annoyance. And then finally, the hatred of the wait. Can anyone relate to that? Advent is incredibly hard because people, because we hate the unknown waiting. A guy named Chuck Swindoll said, true patience is waiting without worrying. So in this text from James, he uses the words patient. Be patient comes from a Greek compound word. The, the compounds are the first part of it's long, and the second part is temper. And the idea is that we, the, 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 the command is you actively set a timer, a long timer for one's patience. Like a long fuse on a bomb or a candle with a long wick, which made me think of this candle uh, that my kids would feel love to get me. Um, and we think about waiting, and like that's how we are when the, in the call of Scripture is that it's a candle with a, a wick a mile long. And that feels impossible. And we're talking about Christ, the wait on Christ's return is to return to making all things new. But it also applies to anything we are waiting on the Lord for. Restoration of relationship. Your health being restored. Waiting to hear back from a doctor about a test that got taken. 
And James helps us see that the essence of patience is really seen in this illustration of a farmer who waits patiently for needed rains. It refers to autumn rains, which early rains are the ones that, the autumn rains which soften, and I had to do some research on this, it's not something that comes naturally to me. Autumn rains which soften the ground for planting, then the late rains are the spring rains that mature the crops to harvest. And the ultimate value was that they would come to fruition in a crop to eat or to sell. The hardworking farmer shows us the example of patience. The farmer can prepare the soil, he can or she can plant the seed, can keep the field weeded. However, the farmer has a limit on what he or she can do. The farmer has to expect to trust God to supply the abundance of rain necessary. The sunshine which encourages the growth. To keep the hail away which ruins the crop. And for this, he or she needs patience, stamina, long-suffering. The farmer had to trust in the reliability of God to supply for And James is calling his readers to the same demonstration of trust as they face their own trials of their time. So we ask ourselves from this passage of James 5 in this season of Advent, how do we wait? The first thing is that we wait patiently. The farmer is incredibly aware of what is and is not in his her control. And this is how we should be, but we struggle so hard with this. Struggle so hard. Go back to that quote, true patience is waiting without worrying. Waiting and sleeping peacefully at night. Waiting and not trying to manipulate to cut corners. And this is where we get ourselves confused because in our day and age, In 2022, it feels like everything is in our control. And we know that it's not, but in all honesty, a lot of stuff is in our control. If I wanted to right now, I could get out my phone and order, you know, a Chicago style pizza. I could order asparagus from another restaurant, have a milkshake being made from somewhere else, have a piece of apple pie. And all of it could be delivered to me, like be waiting on me at the end of church. Like that is bananas to think about. Try explaining this to that farmer from 2,000 years ago. One of my favorite movies, and I won't get into the plot because it will get us off track, but there's a movie called End of the Spear, and it's about you know, what happens in this Ecuadorian uh, tribe, tribe from Ecuador a long time ago, and these Christians uh, that went to share the gospel but, you know, the plot of the movie, don't get distracted by that. But at the end of the movie, uh, what happens is they take one of the gentlemen from Ecuador, and he has lived in this remote tribe his whole life. And it's kind of one of the outtakes of the movie. But they take this man, he's lived in Ecuador his whole life, and they bring him to the United States. And so this man has grown crops. He's the far, you know, like the farmer in this story, has never, you know, seen the technology of the day. And they take him to the grocery store. His mind is just blown at what's going on. And so he describes this and they translate to it. And he said, he said, I walked in and there's just food everywhere. And I just get a cart and scroll, stroll through the grocery store and just pick up whatever I want, put it in the cart. 
Then we get to the register at the end, or to the lady at the end, and the other guy, the American guy, just hands her this card, and the Ecuadorian guy points like, and I guess that's, you know, the exchange of goods or the payment. And then he goes, and then the lady just gives it right back to him after that. Um, and it was like, that's kind of how it works. But when I think about this, we have to recognize that this muscle of waiting, we don't have to use it like they did 2,000 years ago or like the farmers do in parts of the country and the world today. We live in a, as an urban, as living in an urban space. We have all these things at our fingertips that we don't have to wait for. So much is in our control. Even when we think about our health, the things that back then where it's like, oh, my eyesight's going bad. I have to, you know, think about, you know, eternity and thinking, oh, God's going to bring me a new body. I mean, you can get, literally pay somebody to shoot lasers in your eyes and all of a sudden you're seeing better, you know, three days later. Like, it is hard for us to get our head around the idea of how little we actually have to wait. So then when we're given something by the Lord, where we're forced to wait. We feel like somebody who has never lift, lifted a weight saying, go bench press 300 pounds. It's so challenging for us to do because it's not a part of our rhythms at all. And if this is you, then the response first and foremost is hard is for you to willingly be honest about that before the Lord. Confess that before the Lord. Repent. Say, God, I struggle with waiting. And then I'd also challenge you to take opportunities to strengthen this muscle. Over Thanksgiving, we drove out to Texas uh, to visit my wife's family and then drove back. And when we got home, we're unloading. We have, we have a van with children. You're unloading the van at the end of the trip. Um, it is, it's just like, where, where is the floor of this thing? Where's all my stuff? And somewhere in the trip, I lost my little, like, AirPods. So my little, like, you know, earbud things without a wire. And I lost it on, like, Tuesday. And I was like, sure, it's in here somewhere. Like, and we'll find it when we, you know, unload the van. And so I unloaded the van. I couldn't find it anywhere. So then I got out my phone and I did the thing, like, find my whatever on my phone. To, you know, to, like, somehow, you know, through Voodoo, like, figures out where, where your stuff is. And so the good news was it like found my AirPods. I was like, great. And then I like, you know, you know, scroll out or zoom out from the map. And the bad news is they're in Shreveport. Uh, so I don't know where in Shreveport they are, but like they're my AirPods. And they're still there. I check every day. Nobody's found them. Nobody's moving them in Shreveport. And so then like I was like, all right, well, on Cyber Monday, I'm sure there's a deal running. Like I'll order a new, you know, set. And like they're there within like 24 hours, like boom, new AirPods. And they came in. And I felt this tug where they came in this box and I just held the box. And I was like, Diane was, my wife was in the other room and I was like, I gave them to her and I was like, give them to, give these to me at Christmas. I don't want them yet. I do want them, but I also don't want them. And I just need to like wait. And this is three weeks like or a month. Like, I mean, this is not like, you know, like I'm bench pressing like 12 pounds right now and I'm trying to do this. Like, like the muscles are still so short, but if there are opportunities for you, if it's going to the grocery store, picking the long line, just feel what that would feel. Just even thinking about that drives you bananas, doesn't it? It's so hard, but it's a muscle that never, or rarely I should say, 
gets used, and we've got to figure out ways to grow it. And be thinking to the Lord, what are the things that I am longing for? And talking to Him about that, to process it. So we wait patiently, but we also wait with an active expectancy. The word translated patience does not mean a passive tolerance, but an active perseverance. Remember, it's to actively set the timer of one's patience for a long time. According to many scholars, the idea is that someone remains consistent through opposition or continues despite the difficulty. A good example of this in the Bible is Hebrews 12.1 where the same word that is used here is used to describe the way the believers are called to run the race of faith. The image of a runner is not one of resignation but of intentionality, enduring the pain to reach a specified goal. In the same way as the believer perseveres and is patient, they do so through trials and they grow in endurance and in determination. So back to the farmer. The farmer, homeboy's not just sitting inside like drinking tea, waiting for the rain to come. No, he's out there and there are doing, is doing the things that are in his control or her control. Pulling weeds, tending to the crop. And what does James do in this passage? He goes from the farmer to the prophets because he knows the examples of the prophets. We think about this from Jeremiah 38. There's a king, Zedekiah, who wrongly imprisoned the prophet Jeremiah in this muddy dungeon, left him to die. We think about all these prophets, but this one specifically in Jeremiah. When he went through this, he voiced no complaints to God, no grumbling to his captors. And when the dude that, that, that the dungeon summoned him and asked him for advice, Jeremiah told him, and I quote from Jeremiah 38, You shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord and what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. In the moments of longing and suffering, Jeremiah spoke truth. He clung to what is good from the Lord. And James calls us to imitate that behavior. So to be active in our waiting, whatever that is, means that we are people that remember the commandments of Christ. As we wait, and this you know, it applies to as we wait for Christ to come back, but as we wait for whatever it is that you're longing for, your next job, relationship to improve, whatever it is, we're called to wait with an active obedience. It's a quote from Henry Nowen that says, Patience is a hard discipline. It is not just waiting until something happens over which we have no control. The arrival of the bus, the end of the rain, the return of a friend, the resolution of a conflict. And patience is not a waiting passivity until someone else does something. Patience asks us to live the moment to the fullest to be completely present to the moment, to taste and hear, to taste the here and now, to be where we are. And when we are impatient, we try to get away from where we are. When we're impatient, we behave as if the real thing will happen tomorrow, later and somewhere else. So let's be patient and trust that the treasure we look for is hidden in the ground on which we 
stand. To value, to value the ways of God, we must value, value the things that God values. And yes, He values what you are waiting for. Don't get me wrong. And I pray there's blessings at the end of the suffering, whether that's eternally when Christ comes back or in this life. But this is also, for many, the fork in the road because so often with following Christ, the suffering and the patience doesn't produce a material blessing or even a resolution that you want, but it changes you. When we are impatient, we try to get away from where we are. We behave as if the real thing will happen tomorrow, later and somewhere else. Let's be patient and trust that the treasure we look for is hidden in the ground on which we stand. The end that the Lord necessarily has, the end that the Lord has in mind is not necessarily those earthly blessings. The end so often is that you and I are moving towards a deeper intimacy with Jesus. Intimately connected to Him and maturing into what it looks like to faithfully follow Him. The people, as I am near 40, as hard as that is to say, next year, and I look ahead to the people that are in the next stage of life, the people that I am drawn to, in their 50s and 60s and 70s, they're not the ones with the nicest cars. They're not the ones with the biggest businesses. They're the men and women of substance. The men and women who know what it is to trust the Lord. The men and women who have been through suffering. The men and women who have lost and still clung to the truths of Scripture. And the way we get to be those men and women is to be faithful in our times of patience. Consistency in life, even in the face of trials, is what produces Christian maturity. It's not just suffering. Suffering in and of itself will not change you, but consistently clinging to Jesus in your suffering will change you. So Advent is incredibly hard. Rachel, you can come on up. Advent is incredibly hard, but mature Christ, as individuals and as a church, we must lean into the difficulty. Lean into the waiting. Lean into the longing. Be honest where it's hard. And then as we walk in this season, our job as pastors is not only to, to, to push you in this way and to push ourselves, but also the beauty of this is that week in and week out, at the end of the sermon, we head towards the communion table. That no matter how terrible you are at this, we have a faith that is not dependent upon how good we are at suffering, how good we are at patience, but dependent upon the one that patiently suffered on our behalf. The one who refused to take the shortcuts the devil offered to him. The one who patiently loves you and I in our sin and our struggles. So I want you now to bring your struggles as we go towards the table. I want you to receive this sacrament. I want you to ask God to nourish you through it. If waiting is hard for you, it has to be for to some extent for all of us. Come asking Him to grow you and to mature you through the suffering in our lives. Take a moment now to silently confess sin and we'll head towards the